Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this text begins this evening uh, demonstrating that our God is the sovereign one who reigns over all things. Uh, Our confessions speak to that, uh, reminded of what we read this morning in the Sunday school. Uh, What do you understand by the providence of God that the almighty everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. The confession is clear that God is the one who is governing all the events of this world, no matter what it is. Every joy and every trial falleth from above, as the hymn says. And so we are those that are having confidence that God is the sovereign one. Notice Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, and then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. We also reminded of Daniel chapter 4, when Daniel was boasting about the kingdom that he had built with his own hands for his own glory. And the word came to him and cast him down just to show Nebuchadnezzar that he wasn't the one building anything and it wasn't for his glory uh, that he built anything. He was cast and driven out into the wilderness like a beast until seven times had passed over him. That's seven years that he was out in the wilderness like a beast where his hair had grown like a lion's mane and his uh, uh, fingernails had, had grown like eagle's claws. And so this is what we read. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can restrain his hand. God is the one who is ruling and reigning in the kingdoms of men. Men boast. And they make their boast as if it's in their own power they are doing these particular things. And it's the Lord who holds the breath of all being in His hand. And He takes that breath. And He is the one who casts down. And He is the one who raises up. And this ought to bring great joy to the heart of the believer. That our God truly reigns. That is the good news of the Gospel. Is that our God reigns. That our God is King and He sits on His holy hill of Zion, ruling over all of His creation. And so this gives us comfort when the difficult days come in our lives, knowing and rehearsing in our mind the truth of God's Word that He is on the throne. Where was God in 9-11? He was sitting on His throne. Where was He in 9-10? He was sitting on His throne. Where was He at 9-12? He was sitting on His throne, ruling over the nations for His glory 
and for the good of His church. We have to understand that from all of Scripture that our God reigns in the kingdoms of men. Our God is the one who reigns over the Pharaoh of Egypt, one of the most powerful men of His time. And the Lord demonstrated just how weak and how feeble and frail man is by bringing the plagues upon Pharaoh and his people and basically pummeling them to the ground until the Pharaoh basically said, Uncle, I give. Let the people go. Let them go out into the desert. And then out of his pride, he says, What have I done? Go after them and bring them back. And the Lord drowns all of Pharaoh and his Egyptian army in the Red Sea because our God reigns. And that's the comfort that we have as believers. That's what we find in our text uh, this evening. Notice as it starts in verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. A throne is what a king sits on. And a king, just think of Artaxerxes, uh, or Ahasuerus. You couldn't come into the throne willy-nilly. You must come in and the, the scepter then must come down to you or you'd be executed immediately. He had the power to do the things that he wanted. He had great power to exercise as he sat upon the throne as the king. And this is our God. Our God has established his throne above all of creation. He is the one who sits, as the psalmist says, and as we read in the book of Isaiah, he sits at the, the, the hill, as it were, or the crest, or at the top of, of all of creation. It is God who has established His throne in the heavens, and therefore He is the one who rules. We don't make Him Lord. We don't make Him King. We don't make Him ruler. He is ruler. He is King. He is Lord. It is often the case where people say, it used to be a false theology that went on back in the 80s, talked about the lordship salvation theory, that you can receive Christ as your Savior and Him not yet be your Lord. And they would say, I have not yet made Jesus my Lord. Well, let me tell you something. You don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. He is the Lord and Savior. And you don't get Him piecemeal. To receive, to embrace Christ as your Redeemer is to embrace the Lord. It's the total package. You have prophet, priest, and king when you are the one who is embracing Christ by faith. So it is that Christ is mentioned. Even I think in the book of Acts, it's like 92 times where it's declared that Christ is Lord and Savior. He is the kurios. He is the one with sovereign power who rules and reigns. Christ ascended into heaven. And there He sits, what's called His session, ruling over all things to the glory of God and for the good of His church. He is the King in heaven. And He is causing all things to work together for good of His people. And He is bringing the punishment, the wrath of God against the unbelieving world. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has promised that all things are working together for His people. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is making His enemies the footstool of His feet. It is the Lord who has declared these things. And this is what brings comfort to the heart of the believer. You take comfort in that? 
You take comfort when you're going through the difficulties of life. Somebody's attacking you. Vicious attacks, whether it be physical, whether it be a spiritual, whether it be war of words, whatever it may be. Do you take uh, comfort in the fact that our God reigns? That nothing happens by chance, coincidence, fortune, luck, by a whim, out of the blue, however people want to say it today, to deny the providential hand of God? Do you take comfort? And God has a purpose. You know, there are many difficulties that we go through in this fallen, sin-cursed world, as the catechism calls it, a veil of tears or a troubled life. There are many. It would be extremely difficult and it would bring great hopelessness to the heart of individuals to not understand that there is a reason for the things that we go through. Now, I didn't say that we understood the reason. What we understand is the teaching of God's Word. We can apprehend the truth of God's Word, even though that it may be high above us and too lofty for us to understand. We can certainly apprehend the truth that God has a purpose in everything that happens that He sends upon us in this troubled life. We know that God is making us more and more after the image of Jesus Christ. We have the mind of Christ and it begins to to be cultivated. And oftentimes that's through the trials and difficulties that God sends upon us. You know, it is the, 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 the hammering of the artist as he chisels out a statue that brings design and shape. So in other words, it's violence that is involved with fashioning uh, a certain statue into a certain image. It's not by using a sponge where it's nice and soft and easy that you can chip off the rough edges. It is with a chisel and a hammer. And that's what the Lord brings to us. He brings the trials and the, and the difficulties, the persecution Uh, the tribulation, uh, these are the the chisels and the hammers and the tools that God uses to mold and to fashion us after the image of Jesus Christ, that we would be more and more patient in adversity. What a virtue. Where do you find that? Uh, That is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. That is Christ incarnate. He is the, the emblem of patience. It's to look to Him, to know what endurance means. As he kept on, even through all the difficulties of his life, he kept on in serving his Father, in living for the glory of God. Like a sheep that is led to the slaughters. So he opens not his mouth. Uh, He was wounded, he was afflicted, he was betrayed, he was hated, he was despised, he was spit upon, he was mocked, he was scourged. And yet he had no sin. Because his meat and his drink was to do the will of his Father in heaven. What patience. What patience to endure. What patience to endure and to teach us, even as the prophets, as James says in James 5, teaching us the the long-suffering and the patience of those who wait. Who wait on the things of the Lord. Those are difficult things. There's a purpose in it. Understanding That there is a purpose. Not knowing how the Lord is weaving all of those things together. But that there is a purpose. 
There's comfort in that. When we don't understand things as if there is no purpose to it, no reason and no rhyme to it. It's aggravating. It's frustrating. It produces anger in our hearts. But when we know that God has this purpose, we can be comforted. So the Lord is the one who has established His throne and His kingdom rules over all. Beloved, we need to take the examples that are given in Scripture. This is where we begin. Oftentimes in the Christian church, people are looking to the things in the world to interpret the Scripture. That is not how you do exegesis. The Scripture interprets Scripture and then you apply the principles that are taught therein to the world in which we live. But you don't look to the things that are going on in the world and then go back and say, see, this is what's happened in the book of Ezekiel. That's what Ezekiel talked about. And that's what I'm seeing from the world. It has nothing to do with what's going on today. So the Scripture interpreting Scripture, we start with the book of Genesis and we recognize that God is the sovereign one ruling over all things. He is the one who sits above the circle of the earth ruling over everything. We see it with, as I said, the Pharaoh. We see it with Nebuchadnezzar, mighty men of the day. We see it with certain nations, with Edom. We see it with the Philistines. We see it with the Edomites. We see the Lord reigning. And He even saying, I'll put a hook in your nose and I'll bring you to Myself and you will be My servant, saith the Lord. This is the sovereign God. His kingdom rules over all the kingdoms of men. This is the kingdom to which we belong. We are citizens of this heavenly kingdom. We are subjects of the king of the universe. We are commissioned by the king of kings. Notice, the king of all the kings of the earth. The chief king of all the kings of the earth. The Lord, the chief Lord of all the lords and rulers of the earth. This is our God. He has commissioned us to be a people to go out into all the areas of the world and bring the gospel. Now, the kingdoms of men will say, you cannot preach, you cannot speak, you cannot say these particular things. But the Lord of the universe has commissioned His church to go. We go with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in bringing the gospel. We are not to be hindered or prohibited by anybody from bringing the gospel to the nations. The king, the sovereign potentate, the ruler of the nations has commissioned his church. You would think today that much of the church has got his ears plugged to the the call and the command of the master. He is the master and the commander. And he has commanded us to go. That's not a suggestion. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to be a people that evangelize as the servants of the king. These are aspects of our membership, our citizenship in the kingdom of our God. In other words, you belong to a certain realm, a certain state or a country, you fall in line with the country. 
how the country would have you to live and behave into a certain degree, a semblance uh, that you are submitting to that. So it is with the kingdom of Christ. We reveal ourselves in this way. You know, it's always amazing when I go to Panama. I mean, they do things. I, I have no idea why they do certain things that they do. They all know, not just because I'm white, but they all know when I'm there, I'm not a citizen of Panama. Because I don't know how a lot of these people live. I don't know the, the ins and the outs of you know, the protocol, as it were. I have no idea. I just do what I do. I'm real. So we don't do that down here. <laughs> I do. I'm bringing something new to Panama. It's just saying, right? I can be recognized in the way that I'm living in this country that he doesn't belong here. He's a foreigner. He's strange. He lives weird, contrary to us. All right, now bring that to the kingdom of Christ. There's a certain protocol, as it were. That if you're part of the kingdom of Christ, you live in a certain way. Your life is directed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are one bowing to His word, His authority, His kingship. And it's seen. You know, I have been told uh, that there are certain countries where you can't say certain things, Canada being one of those countries, you can't say certain things in the Bible because it's regarded as a hate crime. There was a pastor, James Coates, was uh, put in prison for a time, uh, not only for worshiping when the country said, you cannot worship, but also for preaching things that were controversial from the Word of God uh, that the, the country says that is a hate crime that causes problems. Now, what are we to do as the people? of It's not the minister. It's the people of God. How are we to live our lives as those redeemed by Christ? When the, the, the rulers of this earth who their breath is held in the the hands of the king of kings. The king of kings has commissioned us to go, and the rulers of the earth says, no. And what does the church do? The church cowers. The church fades away. The church balks at that. And yet we are under divine commission to bring the gospel to the nations. This is the love of God. This is the love of the believer towards the unbeliever. You know, the unbeliever doesn't see it that way. He's spiritually blind. The greatest love that you can demonstrate to an unbelieving individual is to bring the love of Christ to them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You bring the good news of Christ to an unbelieving world. Uh, That is the greatest demonstration of love that we as mere mortals can give to other mortals, bringing the love of Christ. And so, this kingdom of God rules over all. That that is a comfort for us. David goes on and he says, bless the Lord. How, How could you not bless the Lord when you recognize and declare that He is the one who is sovereign and reigning over all things? To bless Him means to praise His name. It means to adore Him. It means to reverence Him. It means an act of worship to bless our God. 
And David says, bless the Lord. And then he directs the angels. Notice he begins, right in the close of this, is to direct worship towards God to all of the creatures that God has created. That God has created all things. Worship is rightly due to Him from all things. Honor, adoration, praise for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory. And so he says, bless the Lord, you, his angels. Now, there are many times in scripture where angels simply refers to messengers. That's what it refers to. It could refer to uh, the angelic realm, but not all the time. Uh, Jesus is called the angel of the covenant or the messenger of the covenant. John the baptizer is called an angel, which is called a messenger, again, to bring the good news of the gospel. And that's simply what it means. But here, David is referring to the angelic realm. How do you know? Well, notice what he says. They excel in strength. Angels have great power. God has given them uh, great power. The ability to do things uh, that we could not do. They have much more strength than we do. Notice also, they do His Word. Uh, Think of Isaiah 6. The cherubim and the seraphim. With wings they cover their face. And wings they cover their feet. And it's the ready to do and dispatch and to do the will of God. They are prepared to do. They are ready to to do the will of God. They are ministering agents, as it were, sent forth by God to minister to those who would inherit eternal salvation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. But they do God's bidding. Think of Gabriel. He appears numerous times in the Gospels. And he comes to do the message of the Lord. You remember with Zechariah in the temple. And it was Gabriel who comes and he brings him the message. This time next year, Elizabeth is going to be with child. Zacharias, he he laughs. He laughs in derision. He laughs in a scorning manner. How do you know? Uh, Because you can demonstrate of the action of Gabriel towards him. He must have said it this way. "Are, Are you serious? How can that be? I can't even believe that. And Gabriel responds in this way. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It's the Holy One. It's a minister that brings a message of God. Michael is the same thing. You find Michael, Gabriel, calling out to Michael in the book of Daniel. That is Daniel 7. And to dispatch as Satan had entangled Gabriel. And it was Michael the archangel who came and set him free. And he was sent by God to deliver a message to Daniel. And here comes uh, Michael, the ark of the angels, chief of the angels, selling in great power. And here we have it. You, his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word. Oh, that man was this way. Wouldn't it be great to be on your tombstone? Here lies one who did God's word, who loved and did God's word. The voices or the angels are those that heed the voice of his word. Oh, to have that as an epitaph. He heeds 
the voice of God's Word. He, he gives way to the voice of God's Word. He listens to the voice of God's Word. He obeys the voice of God. The Lord speaks and He responds. How often is that not the case in our lives? That's the struggle, isn't it? That's the work of sanctification. Of growing in grace and in knowledge and understanding and submission to the authority of the one who bought us. That's the difficulty. And beloved, that's why we need to constantly be under uh, the, the influence of the Word of God so that my mind more and more is saturated with the Word of God which then forms the way that I think and how I will. It changes the willing in my life of that I do these particular things. The mind chooses and it's engaging of the will. And I carry it out. And it brings emotions to, to the forefront in my life. It gives me joy and pleasure to do the will of God. We were created for that. And when we don't, there is sadness. There is grieving when we are disobeying the Lord. So we need, we need prayer. We need to be people that are prayer. Spurgeon, I think, has a quote that says, the first uh, decline of religion uh, in the redeemed is the failure to pray in private. <laughs> if we don't pray in public... And we complain and lament about long prayers in public. And we don't attend prayer meetings in public. What goes on behind closed doors? You know, when you go to the store and you see this, this tussle that goes on in one of the, the, the aisles, you, you'll see these, this mom and this kid wrestling match over his, Twinkies or something, you know, I want them, you're not going to have them. And the fight, and this is in public. You ever ask yourself the question, what goes on behind closed doors? <clears throat> Last night I was watching live PD, and these cops were chasing this car that was driving city streets 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. Now, if you've never been on the chasing end of a car like that and blowing lights and stop signs and the stress and the anxiety and the adrenaline is just pumping through you, uh, you have no idea what happens when you finally get this individual pulled over. I mean, you are jacked up. So they finally get this car pulled over. It was a 14-year-old kid that had taken that car without his mom's permission. And his 15-year-old sister was in the passenger seat. And when the cops got him and pulled him out and threw him to the ground, he began cussing and carrying on with these cops, with the authority, and just railing on them, saying all kinds of things. Mind your own business. Don't put your hands on me. Who do you think you are? What do you think went on in that home? And so it is. If we're not a people that praise in public, what are we in private? If we are a people that are exasperated by the reading of Scripture in public, what are we like in private? We need prayer. 
We need the Word. We need to be saturated with it more. I don't need less sermons. I need more sermons. I don't need less Word. I need more Word. I don't need less prayer. I need more prayer. I need more fellowship in my life, not less fellowship. I need the means of grace that God has given to us. Because that is what builds us up and molds us and fashions us after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the angels heed the voice. This ought to be us. We ought to be that people that heed the voice of the master and the commander. But David is calling upon the angels who do this to give him praise, to bless, to honor him. He goes on in verse 21. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. Now, this is referring to us. Hosts are an army. We are the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a mass of people that he's referring to. He's calling upon us to bless the Lord, uh, all of his hosts, all of his servants, all of those that worship him. And that's what the ministers are. The ministers, as you read that, is not referring to me, it's referring to us. We are the ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the servants, because that's what minister means. It means a slave. It means a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we all have been bought and purchased with the blood of Christ. We are His servants. We are His host. We are the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are, He said, you ministers of His to do His pleasure. What is the Lord's Day? Isaiah speaks of this, Isaiah 58. The Lord's Day. What God blesses on the Lord's Day. Uh, the, the Old Covenant Sabbath. The New Covenant Christian Sabbath. The first day of the week. The Lord's Day. To do His pleasure. Those that were not blessed in the Old Covenant were those that Isaiah said, who do their own pleasure. Isn't that the struggle with us as Christians? To do the pleasure of God. To do the pleasure of God, we have got to be those people that ask the question of Scripture. What would God have me to do? How would He have me to live? So we are to strive to do the pleasure of God. This pleases God. This is God's pleasure. I'm reminded of uh, Eric Little when he uh, ran in the Olympics. And he was gifted uh, to be a missionary. He ended up going to China and died in China as a missionary. But the man was fast. And he was running the Olympics, I think it was in the 30s. Um, He had said to his sister, who, who was really angry with him because he chose to run in the Olympics rather than at that particular point to go to China and be a missionary. You know, the Lord has called you, Eric, to be a missionary to China. And he says, and the Lord also made me fast. And I feel his pleasure when I run. Man, notice that. God had gifted him in this certain way. And when he exercised that gift, he felt the pleasure of God. Has not God gifted us as his people? 
Do you not, beloved, feel the pleasure of God when you are fulfilling your vocation as a Christian? When you are exercising the gifts that God has given to you? When you are walking in obedience to our God? When you gather for worship? Do you not feel, sense, discern the pleasure of God that this pleases God? God is well pleased as we gather together in worship. God is well pleased when we serve one another. You think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25. As much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. When did we do these things? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you naked and clothe you? When is it that you were in prison and we came to visit you? As much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren... You've done it unto me. God is pleased when we serve. That is, brings Him pleasure. So we are created to do. It's to bring pleasure to God. To please Him. And David calls upon us. Bless the Lord. Praise Him. Adore Him. Worship Him. Serve Him. Uh, this is what we are called as the people. The servants of God. And then he encompasses all of it. And he says... Bless the Lord, all His works. Uh, That encompasses everything. That brings everything into it. God has created all things. Why? For His glory. And David says, bring Him praise. The stars, the sun, and the moon, bring Him praise. All the creepy crawlies of the earth, bring Him praise. All the birds of the air, sing those songs that God created you to sing. Bring Him praise praise as all the creatures of the earth they fulfill that praise as it were a singing of a song to the Lord in a sense of living out the very nature which God created uh, that sings the praise of God in all places of his dominion Uh, that encompasses all of the universe God has created all things and now all things are to be brought into submission to glorify, honor, and praise the Lord. And he, he speaks to himself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. David includes himself in all of this. This is something as he begins going through it, is ministering to his own soul. And he doesn't stop at the end. He, he doesn't fail to reflect upon, this is my calling. God has created me. He has redeemed me. He has established my steps. He undergirds me. He keeps me. And He's done so that I might bless the Lord. This reflection here of speaking to yourself. Do you not find yourself having to do this again and again? Speaking the Word of God to your own soul? Stop the complaining. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless Him. Praise Him. Put aside the mumbling and the grumbling. And how do I do that? By blessing the Lord. Adoring His holy name. David closes it out with that. Notice he began with that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In all that is within me, bless His holy name. All of creation is designed to do that. He calls upon all creation to do that. And then he constantly reminds himself. And you too, David. 
you keep praising the Lord who bought you. Amen. Shall we pray?